0: Hello and welcome to Watermark's Church Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Tarno, joined by my co-host, John McGee. How we doing? Hey, Adam. How Good. we doing, man? Doing well, doing well. Good to see you. You want to introduce our guest today?
1: Absolutely. So today we're talking about ministering to millennials, and we have with us today Jonathan Picluda. We all call him JP around here. Uh, JP's got lots of distinctions. Uh, he is the tallest guy on our staff, probably the best beatboxer, and he is uh, our campus pastor, but also leads The Porch ministry. So, JP, you want to talk just a little bit as we start uh, about The Porch, kind of about the context that you
2: do uh, ministry in? I will. I'm stuck on that. Uh, probably the best beatboxer, but I, I will. Yeah, so, man, uh, it's going to be fun just to talk through this today. As you know, I'm crazy passionate about just ministering through millennials. Um and I think that you know, I would my life was changed. So I do the porch, which is just have by God's grace got to see a, a ministry really grow a ton. And when folks say, "Hey, help us," you know what what is transferable there? For a long time, we really struggled with how to help churches uh, because it was just like, man, it just feels like God's doing crazy work in spite of us. That's not a false humility. Like that just seems like the reality of of what's happening. And um, through just folks like yourself, John and Adam. Um, have tried to put some things down that I think are transferable through the years. Of, okay, m- this might help a church. And so, if there's anything that we've learned just by bumping our head against walls and and uh, hitting barricades and and really growing through problems and challenges, if there's anything we've learned through the years, I'd, I'd love to uh, to help churches with that information. But I don't think we have it all figured out. We'll, love it. We'll see how it works. Love it. Well, I think we'll
1: have, I think we'll be able to help uh, churches quite a bit here. Uh, on this episode, but before we get there, JP, do you mind just sharing your story just a little bit? I know it well, Adam and I know it well, and we're always encouraged, but, uh, Many probably don't. So, do you mind sh- sharing that real quick?
2: Yeah, I was raised in the church. I uh, went to a parochial, like a church school, for nine years, and uh, then I went to a two-year college, which was uh, really two years, four years of partying, crammed into two years, and so uh, didn't go to church at that time as drug, sex, and hip hop in my case. And uh, let's see, after college, graduated, moved to Dallas because I was uh, chasing a girl here, and I was at a bar in Dallas uh, sixteen years ago. And was standing up, you know, standing next to a pool table with a Miller Light in my hand and bumped into this girl that I knew from college and said, what are you doing this weekend? She said, I'm going to go check out a church. I said, okay, great. Pick me up, you know. And she did. I don't even know, you know, where she was at in the faith or if she was – I don't think she was uh, trying to share the gospel or anything. I think she was just saying, hey, this is what I'm going to do tomorrow. And I said, pick me up. She did. And and she exits the story, but I just kept going back to that church every Sunday. And I sat in the back row, hungover. Smelled like smoke from the night before, you know, clubbing, partying, and um, and just kept going back and wrestling with, okay, what do I really believe? And really started with ground zero and began to explore world religions and just kind of what are the odds of be born to the right country with the right faith of Christianity? So looked at the Hindu faith and the Buddhist faith and Jewish faith, Islamic faith, Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, so forth, so on, and uh, kept tripping over this guy Jesus, and um, realized you know, 2017 years ago something happened that that changed time and. Uh, gave my life to Christ, and everything began to change. And, and I really kind of was angry, had this righteous anger in me, like, why didn't somebody tell me this? Why didn't mm-hmm. somebody explain this to me? And they had, but I just didn't listen. And so um have seen God work through young adults since then. And, the, and so the past 11 years of vocational ministry, I was called a vocational ministry five years later, and the past 11 years have been ministering to this demographic we know as millennials. And and as that changes, this demographic of young adults, kind of 18 to 35 and uh, it's the they're the future of the church, and so I've just kind of given my life up to this point, my adult life, to ministering to this demographic.
0: Well, that's great. So we got a lot of things here that I know are going to be really helpful to church leaders. I've got a list here of 10 things I've heard you say over the years about ministering to millennials, and so I thought it'd be great for us just to go through this and give you an opportunity to expound. On some of this, so the first one is this: you just say to be real. What do you What do you mean by that?
2: Yeah, so just uh, this idea of of being real, being authentic, being who you are. Um, Swindoll says, "Know yourself, um, like yourself, be yourself." There's There's something true to ministering through millennials uh, to this state, and so this can be you on a microphone, you preaching to them, you in a small group trying to lead to them, but you you have to like let them into your world a little bit. Let me give you an example. So uh, one time I had. Um, I was on Instagram, and I clicked on a hashtag that that was just stupid. Like, I know that I shouldn't have clicked on. And I, I was sitting in the guilt of that, and I was about to preach from God's word with the guilt of that in my rearview mirror. And I had just confessed that to my uh, guys I'm in community with, had them pray for me in a James 516 kind of way. But I was just like, man, I don't want to be a fraud with these folks. So I literally started the sermon with that story. Hey, guys, I want you to know what happened this week. And, um, and I told them, hey, I, I was on Instagram, social media. I clicked on a hashtag, which led me to an image that was not uh, completely pornographic in nature, but it was still an image that I shouldn't have looked at of a girl in a bathing suit. And, um, and, I, and I said, I'm sorry. You know, I feel like I've let you guys down and um, was just honest with that. And it was, it was the most – I had the most people line up after that message that ever had and just said they appreciated that. And, and it was me just saying, hey, I don't want to fake it up here. And then I told that story. I was asked to come and speak at a seminary uh, on this idea of ministering to millennials. And I told that story there. And I, and I spoke specifically of my past struggles with m- pornography, how how the Lord had healed me from that as I had gone into ministry and how that's always a temptation and something that I have to fight on a daily basis. And I read the reviews of, of my lesson at the seminary, my message at the seminary, and the reviews, uh, there were some that stood out to me that just said, hey, you can't say that word in a mixed-gender <laughs> audience uh, like pornography. You can't speak of those things. And, um, and I my heart broke because they asked me to, to help them minister to millennials, and they said, hey, you can't do that. And I just thought, you know what, that person, and I mean this in the most respectable way, that person attends a church that's dying. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not reaching the future of the church, then your church in the most literal sense is dying. And so you have to – millennials don't want uh, – um, um, let's see, a replica of Francis Chan or a replica of Matt Chandler or a replica of David Platt up there. They want you up there mm-hmm. and they want you to be honest and, and with where you're at and your struggles and they know that you're not perfect, so don't pretend to be, um, but let them into your world. And and I've seen people fake this. I've seen people go up there and throw around words like pornography or masturbation or just like these these flash words that they're doing it in an inauthentic way. And man, they can smell that. You know, They, they know if it's inauthentic. So you have to be comfortable where you're at, comfortable in your skin, and and speak out of that, you know, vulnerability. It's really good. Which is, I think, is one of the things um,
1: that shows up so often when people talk about the porch. You'll hear testimonies afterwards. Man, I didn't know you could be real. You could be honest. You could be authentic uh, in church. And that's one of the things that marks the ministry. And I think it's been so. Uh, one of the reasons why it's been so effective. So another thing you say often, uh, JP, is to teach the whole truth. What do you mean by that?
2: Yeah, so just like, I mean, they want, they're there. If people are showing up to church, they're there because they want to know the Bible. And you don't have to apologize for that. And so um, we just say often here, teach the whole truth. And so don't skip the parts that are hard. You know, call them to something um, we're going to talk about later, but you know, how we call them to purity and call them to sobriety. But we're dealing with the transgender issues that are in our culture today. We're talking about issues of homosexuality. I've already talked to you about pornography in a short, uh, just a few minutes that we've been together. So we're talking about these real issues. We're teaching from the scripture and then when you know when you get to books and we want to teach the whole manifold wisdom of God and so uh, books like lamentations God's preserved for thousands of years because he thinks there's something there that we can benefit from and so we're going to take that and try to apply that to their lives and say hey this isn't crazy these aren't these don't need to be the sticky pages of your Bible there's truth here and so what I mean by teach the whole truth is really twofold one is don't avoid topics because they're controversial um, and also don't avoid scriptures because you don't know how they apply to their lives do the work to figure out how that applies
0: to their lives that's awesome JP number three you talk about under promise and over deliver what do you what do you mean by that man it felt like early in the ministry what we would do Adam is we would
2: beg people to come and we would spend all of our money on marketing and communicating what we were going to do and hey man there's gonna be this party inside you've got to come and check it out and and we're like telling the world and, and buying spotlights and doing whatever we can do to get them in the room and then we didn't really have any any energy or resources left to minister to those people. And so what we stopped, we stopped doing that. And we started just focusing on whoever God provides, uh, whoever will show up, we're going to spend all of our resources, all of our time and all of our energy into making it excellent. And then those two people that showed up went and asked two more to come with them the next week. And and then those four asked four more. And so um, we just had this uh, leadership conference where I was talking about some of these things. And a guy said, well, how do I ask them to come back? And I said, don't. And that his mind was blown. He was like, what do you mean, don't ask them to come back? He was like, he was like every, every week I, I say, hey, and please come back next week and please bring a friend. I'm like, dude, they, can, they know what you're trying. That, that screams, hey guys, I'm trying to grow a ministry. Uh, man, make it to where they're like, they leave and they're like, man, I can't wait to come back next week. Hey, I'm going to move some things around in my calendar because uh, I, I've got to be in there. Again, this is in the context of a gathering, a young adult gathering, but this applies to your church service as you're thinking about ministering to millennials. Uh, this applies to your Bible study. I mean, give them something so that when they get in their car, they're like, man, I am so glad I changed my schedule around so that I would drive. Fight traffic to get in this room this week, um, and, and say it in short form. Make it excellence. Make it excellent. Excellence honors God and inspires people. And so, whatever you do, you don't have to beg them to come to it. Just make it excellent for whoever God brings, and they'll bring others. Love
1: it. Love it. Okay, number four,
2: uh, you'll say sometimes hold traditions loosely. Yeah, I think we get stuck in a rut in church, and and we do things, and we don't ask why we're doing them, and so. Uh, this is like the the anecdotal stories, the proverbial stories around this are often around hymns or worship. You know, do we do hymns or do we sing worship songs? I don't know. We might do rap. We, I don't know what we're going to do. But if, it, if the Bible doesn't say how we should do it, then we're going to hold how we do it really loosely. Um, if the Bible says how we should do it, we're going to do it as the Bible says we should. An, an example of this that's kind of funny is early on uh, at the porch or uh, the gathering here that I get to be a part of, Uh, We would do cookies every week. And so uh, every week we would do cookies, and like it was almost became this superstitious, like, hey, there's magic around the cookies. And then somebody wiser and smarter than me came along and said, hey, these cookies, they cost you $5,000 a year. And I'm like, wow, $5,000, that's a lot of money, you know? And and it didn't, it was never a big expense week to week. But when you saw it over 365 days, you're like, five grand. And that's a lot of money going toward cookies and they said yeah that, we just don't think god wants us to steward resources in that way i'm like we can't get rid of the cookies I mean, you have to keep the cookies, and they're like, I don't think we do have to keep the cookies. <laughs> and I'm like, No, you've got to keep the cookies. And they cut them, and we never felt it, and the ministry moved on. People showed up the next week, and and so it's just one of those things that you can start to kind of like grip really tight, like, Oh, you got to do that. You know, it's got to be on that day. It's got to be at that time. It's got to. We've got to wear those shirts, and just every now and then, you need someone to come along and say, Hey, why do you do that? Um, are you sure you need to? does the Bible say you need to because if the Bible doesn't say you need to then then hold it loosely and that can be anything the day that we can meet the the time that you meet you know who's leading worship the format do we lead worship beforehand or afterwards and the message is it 20 minutes 30 minutes 45 minutes let's let's talk about all of those things is there a way that we can become more excellent
1: That's good you know it's interesting that you always uh, I would think Millennials are normally lobbing the accusation at those that are older than them hey you know don't hold on tradition and even uh, even millennials, even as you ministered to millennials, you could, uh, you know, you could hold on to them as well.
0: Yeah. So, JP, you also talk often about leadership and uh, how you need to go out there and find leaders. That's the way you say it. So, how, what, what do you mean by that? I think there's this
2: weird thing in ministry where we think like just God is going to bring great leaders to us, and uh, you know, the next mm-hmm. Steve Jobs who loves Jesus or, or Mother Teresa is going to walk in the door. And I would just tell you that corporate America is exploiting your people. They are dangling the carrot of six-figure, you know, paycheck and saying, "Hey, give." We're, we're, they're going to universities and they're recruiting the best and the brightest, and so that the church is left with the scraps, and whatnot. And I'm like, dude, hey, forget that. Find the smartest, best people you can who love Jesus with all their heart, and say, "Hey, come and die." I mean, that's what Jesus would go to people with huge asks of them. Um, to the rich young ruler in Luke 18, he's like, hey, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. And so I want to find the best and brightest people that I can and say, hey, come and be a part of what I think is an incredible movement of God. And I believe that. And so, um, you know, he, he's done that. He's provided that through uh, recruiting them and asking them to come. He's provided those folks. And so if you're at a place where you're like, well, I don't know who is great and best and brightest, I don't know. I would say start with the ones that will, and so take the ones that will show up and and invest in them and um, um, develop them, Um, but get to a place. I hope that you get to a place where you say, okay, I'm just going to go and find the smartest, most faithful, most God-fearing, most knowledgeable um, most talented, most gifted people I know, and I'm going to ask them to come and be a part of this. Uh, unapologetically, I'm asking them to be bivocational. Hey, I know you got that job 50 hours a week. Uh, when you get off that job, I got another job for you um, because I think this one has more meaning in it, and we we talk about that.
1: Yeah, and I think millennials are, I mean, all the research would say they are looking for uh, meaning, so leverage that. Give them an opportunity. Um Something similar, JP, you say often is give the ministry away.
2: Yeah. Up front, you, you talked about we're going to talk about ministering to millennials. I don't know if you caught that, but I I, I, um, I changed it to no, where We're really talking about ministering through millennials. And so um, we just say all the time we do ministry through people, not to people. Uh, we we've identified those gifted leaders that we've recruited. We've given them a budget. I took the budget that the church entrusted to me. I broke it up, and I gave it to lay leaders. And I I tell them, hey, you're now bivocational. You're leading with me. I've uh, In an Exodus 18 kind of way, in the way that Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, said, hey, there's too many of these people for you to minister to them. You need to raise up leaders of leaders, leaders of tribes. Um, We modeled that here. Here's a really, if I can, just an anecdotal story on this. We were in Haiti once, and and we were doing ministry in Haiti, and uh, we were going village to village. And we had this uh, translator interpreter. His name was Villerson, and 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 we were actually in his village. And and that's a frustrating process if you've ever done ministry overseas, where you you know begin to share the gospel, but you like say it in snippets, and then the translator says it, and then you say some more, and the translator says it, and then you say some more, and, and you kind of go back and forth. And wait, okay, wait, wait, where was I? You're created by God who loves you. Tell him, you know. And I got frustrated with that process. And I just said to the translator, I'm like, hey, you tell them. You, you're you here. You speak the language. You know Jesus. Just tell them. And um, and he did, and it was fine. I was like, hey, I'll be the token American that kind of gets us in the door, but you just tell them. You you share the gospel. And we were debriefing that evening, and um, I said that to, to the teams. I was like, man, isn't that a frustrating process, the way it works with the interpreter? And they were like, yeah, yeah. And I said, man, I just told them, hey, you tell them. And one of the guys says, hey, you, you realize what you're, you're doing there, right? And I say, yeah. And he says, I mean, that's his... That's that's his village. I said exactly. That's his village. Like you share the gospel. And he goes, "But you're asking him to go door to door in his village and share the gospel." I said, "That's exactly what I'm asking him to do. Go door to door in your village, share the gospel." And the guy goes, "Yeah, but um but we don't do that." So what do you mean we don't do that? He was in Dallas, we don't go door-to-door. I mean, could you imagine if somebody said, hey, I want you to walk down your street and just share the gospel door-to-door? I said, you're right. We don't do that, you know? <laughs> and uh, and uh, I was like, shut up. <laughs> but uh, but um, anyways, you know, he he just said, you know, when I get back to Dallas, I'm going to do that. I want to see us do that. And uh, I, I'd love to start a ministry where we do that. that. That guy, a lay volunteer, ended up starting one of the greatest ministries that the Lord has blessed here at Watermark. Uh, we call unashamed you move through uptown young adults go door to door through their apartment community sharing the gospel we stay with ministry partners we go into ministry partners and so he'll take a well, well the only he'll take a discipleship trip in downtown Dallas uh, with ministry partners, and they stay in there. They stay there in Uptown together. It's an entire weekend dedicated to it, and it's, uh, we, we ended up bringing that guy on staff. Uh, he left his corporate America job, came on staff to lead this effort, and it was all birthed out of this idea of giving the ministry away. He said, I want to do that. And I said, great, you go do that, and the Lord just blessed his efforts, and so we're constantly, when, when people come to us and say, hey, we should do this, we say, yes, you should. You know, you, you go and do that.
0: Yeah, such a great story. So this next one, JP, is one that you've already alluded to a little bit, but the seventh one here is we hear you say is call people to greatness. So what do you mean by that?
2: Yeah, this is another one that I'd love to just just camp on for a moment. Um men, as I said, Jesus has big asks, like in Luke 18, when he says to that guy, you know, hey, come and and follow me, come and die. And um, you know, in Matthew 16, with his disciples, he says, "You know, who do they say I am? Some say John the Baptist; others Elijah; others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. What about you? Who do you say I am? You're the Christ, Son of the Living God." And on this declaration, I'm going to build my church, and nothing's going to stop it. If you think about it, Jesus could have used anybody to do ministry. I mean, he could have used toddlers. He could he could have spoken through babies who didn't speak, and people to listen to him. He could he could have used the elderly and the wise outside the city, and said, "Hey, guys, follow me." But he didn't. He chose this demographic, 18 to 35. He chose he chose 12 men. 12 young adults, 12 millennials of their day, if you will, and said to come and change the world with me and nothing's going to stop this. And so and they, they always said, who's the greatest? That was the number one question they asked like nine times in the gospel who's the greatest Jesus who's going to sit at your right or your left? And millennials, Gen Y, Gen Z, if you will, they have they they um, now Gen Z, they want the same thing that the disciples did then. They, they want to be a part of something great. And it may be an alt, altruistic motive. It may be a, a bad motive, but that you can take that mad motive and you can direct it to something great. Hey, you don't want to be great. You want to make Jesus uh, great to your friends. You want to show and reflect the greatness of Jesus. And so let me just tell you how this practically played out in the ministry is volunteers were showing up like, like if the ministry was like 100 people and there were like 12 volunteers and we'd show up and we'd pray and we'd break and, hey, you go be an usher and you over there, you go be a greeter and you, why don't you go stand at the welcome desk? And, and they were just uninspired. The number one problem, I think, when I inherited the ministry is the volunteers were uninspired. And I prayed about this and was in this meeting and we were thinking about this and just said, man, we don't need ushers and greeters. And so we called all of our volunteers together and, and we just and we were thinking, we were like, we don't need ushers and greeters, we need ministers and missionaries and evangelists and hosts. And and I just said, hey, if you're here and you just want to be a greeter, um respectfully, we don't have a job for you anymore. And if you just want to be an usher, we don't have a job for you anymore. And no, we need We need ministers. We need people who will share their story in in 30 seconds, uh, three minutes, and 30 minutes. People who will walk strangers through the Roman's roads. People who will will pray with a girl who just had an abortion or, or will know what to say when a girl says, hey, I have an abortion appointment scheduled for Friday, or for a guy who's thinking about taking his life, like somebody who will sit with them and and pray with them and minister to them. Again, we do minister through people, ministry through people. And and so I said, hey, if you just want to be an usher or a greeter, you're fired. But if you want to be a missionary, a minister, an evangelist, a host, a pastor, a shepherd with us, then we got a job. And they were like, well, I want to do that, but I don't know how. I said, great, I'm not worried about you. Don't know how. We'll train you. And this this demographic, they're so hungry for discipleship that before that, we were begging them to come and serve with us, like begging them and 15 showed up. After that, there was a line of people like, hey, I want to serve there. I'd love to serve there. You're going to pour into me. You're going to develop me. I'm going to have real opportunities to do ministry there. Uh, I'd love to serve there. Our our volunteer base grew to 250 people, Mm -hmm. larger than the ministry was at the time. And it's so big that we had to start this other ministry called Roundabout where they would go and be trained. Um, they would go there for two months just to be trained on how to serve at the porch before they'd actually go on a team to serve. And, um, and so it's just this idea that, that men, the, you know, the proverb says, um, where there's no vision, the people perish. And um, they want to be called to something bigger than themselves. And so that's that's what this idea of calling people to greatness. Love it. And you know, it's interesting. A lot of
1: times when you hear the stories, people will have their own story of coming to faith or coming back to the church. They'll talk about the message at the porch. they talk about the realness and the authenticity you talked about earlier. But a lot of times they'll talk about somebody they met when they walked in the door. And it, it wasn't somebody that just shook their hand. It was somebody that sat next to them and stayed there for the next two hours after the service was over. I've heard that story a lot. And so um, it's true, and you've done a great job with that. Uh, so another one you talk about, number eight, um,
2: remember that vision leaks. Yeah, vision leaks. It, it plays into what you just said. Listen, I've been preaching to millennials for um let's see eight years now eight years every week week in and week out I'm preaching to millennials no one's ever come to me and said man i trusted christ when you shared this illustration or read this verse it's always hey you said this and then i talked to someone afterwards and so i just this vision that they are the ministers of the porch, that I'm just an aspect of it, but really the, the folks who God is using to change lives are those serving with us. And so casting that vision, that 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 is the inspiration that you have to say in front of them over and over and over and over and over. And so you, you had to ask, if I said, hey, what is your mission? What are you trying to do? At Watermark, we say, uh, to make more fully devoted followers of Christ. At the porch, we say, surrender to God. We are changing the world through the lives of young adults. It was, we will surrender to God. We will change the world through the lives of young adults. And one of our volunteers just, um, said one day, hey, I think, you know, I'm hearing about stories coming from Africa and Australia and Joplin, Missouri and, and El Paso and Tulsa and, and just kind of around the, the country. I think God is using us in that way already. And we changed it from we will to we are surrendered to God by his strength. According to his mercy and grace, we are changing the world through the lives of young adults. And so you know that you're saying that enough when they start making fun of you behind your back and like, ah, we know, surrender to God, we are changing the world. And so when they start like mocking you behind your back, then you're saying it enough. Uh, When they say it, when you hear, when you walk into conversations and someone's like, hey, you know, surrender to God, we are changing the world through the lives of young adults, when they're saying it on your behalf, that's how you know you're saying enough, but you need to be, as a leader, like a broken record to this demographic. Say the same thing over and over and over and over so it's tattooed on their forehead and their brain. They know exactly what they're here
0: to do. Which is so difficult for leaders because we feel like if we've said it twice, you know, now we're going to run out of content. Now we're going to sound like a broken record, and it's such no, a great reminder. To. That we've got to do that. All right, uh, number nine. This is one of my favorite ones. You talk about uh, create unique shared experiences. What do you mean with that?
2: Yeah, unique shared experiences, man. It's like a fraternity or sorority. Like when we're with our leaders and our volunteers, like let's make sure we're having fun. You know, we just say a lot. Let's make some memories. And so sometimes that just means letting the letting the meeting come off the rails. and we're sitting there in that Bible study, you just saying, "Hey guys, everybody, what you know? What, we're going to go and uh, you know we're going to go wakeboarding right now. I'm going to call up a friend. He has a boat. Let's go." and just just create those unique shared experiences all of our uh the porch has what has now developed into five leadership teams each of those teams um is has a a male and a female leader and so those, uh, those two leaders have a team of people. And so there's team sidewalk, team next steps, team curbside. In our context, that's like host and greeters, you know, but not greeters, but pastors and, and not ushers, but pastors who walk alongside people in their challenges, not just helping them find a seat, but maybe sitting with them and whatever God has them in. And so those, those folks go out of town together and um, we give them a budget. They'll, they'll find a friend with a lake house and, and they'll do that twice a year. Our staff team will go out of town twice a year and just make a memory. I mean one time, and I'm just as a leader, I'm looking for opportunities for us to go do something that, that is going to be told in a legendary way. Man, remember when we went to that car race, it was like called the Dust Bowl in the middle of nowhere, and we were sitting there watching people race cars and talking to people about Jesus. and it was just you know that was just something we stumbled across as we had went to a flea market. Someone invited us to a, a race. That night, and so we took our leaders out to this race, and it's become this legendary story that's told. So create unique shared experiences. Well, and it's trickled down because I heard a story recently about uh, one of your
1: teams, and they found some tickets to Denver. Uh, I think it was like thirty-nine bucks, and I can't remember. Do Do you know? You probably know the story better than me. Uh, and he just said, show up yeah. you know, at the church with your backpack. I've got a plan today, and they, <laughs> they drove to Denver. And yeah, flew. Do, yeah, flew. I mean, they, they drove to the airport, flew to Denver, and uh, hung out there, took the late flight back. I mean, yeah. man, what a meeting. Made that, a memory. Yeah, they made Unique it. shared experience. That was good. Okay, uh, number 10 is get good feedback. And JP, like if I was asked, this is not because you're sitting here, if I was asked, who do you know uh, that is the best at a boxer know, at, in at, Dallas? Well, I didn't say that. Oh, no. Okay, that's sorry. Not, not what I said. I said uh, what I was going to say was uh, who's the best at getting and receiving, uh, you know, and kind of processing feedback. I, I really would, uh, buddy. I'd, I'd point at you. Thank so you uh, talk about that getting good feedback.
2: Man, it's just like I don't know why we waste this opportunity. And there's a Tim. I do know why. You know, there's a pride in me that I don't want. I don't want someone to tell me really how i did you know or how i'm doing i want someone to tell me i'm great and um i want someone to tell me how awesome i am that's that's what my flesh wants but why would we pass up an opportunity to know how we're doing from the people that we're actually doing ministry to and through um and so there's just this thing just ask your folks hey guys what can i do better what what how could i be a better leader to you and let me tell you how this plays out cuz that that's ambiguous and you probably read that on a leadership blog but for, for me in my context <laughs> i am um, i have my team give every sermon i preach a grade and so they grade it one to 100 you know 100 being the best sermon you've ever heard 70 being passing and i and i asked them hey i want i want you to tell me one thing that you you thought was excellent that really ministered to people and i want you to tell me one thing that you think i can improve on and just creating that practice, and when somebody gives me that, you know, hey, that was a seventy-five, and and here's a long list of what was not excellent, I really affirm that person publicly, and just say, hey, I don't, I don't go to them and be like, man, what are you thinking? Um, but just to, to you know, reply to all, put everybody on there. Hey, this person's really helped me this week, so they know it's safe, and they know that you actually appreciate uh, the critique, and it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, it doesn't increase a, a negative critical spirit. What it does is it increases ownership so that everyone's thinking through, okay, how was the night? How was worship? How was the, 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 uh, the lay volunteers? How, how are we doing here? And we're just constantly in this feedback loop. And um, that's something that I've uh, unfortunately found unique. Somebody told me, he's like, yeah, I get a grade for your message. Like, that's not the gospel. And I would just come back and say, you know what? It's the gospel. freedom that i found in christ that allows me to get that grade and not be identified by it and so listen if i get a 75 you know god can still use a a message that that is a 75 Um, but it does inspire me to say okay how how could i be more excellent next week because excellence as i said honors god inspires people
1: yes you did and i have sat in that meeting so if everyone's sitting here going does jp really do, do that he does that and i remember one of the first times i sat in there i just looked Uh, at everybody giving the candid feedback um, that they were. And I thought to myself, like, you you know you work for JP. Like, he he could fire you. And uh, you've done an amazing job of – you know of kind of creating that um, that environment where they felt they feel this ownership mentality and it yeah. wasn't toxic it wasn't hostile uh, they felt like hey we care about this and JP's our friend we can make him better and it was uh, it was amazing so I, I, that I've been super encouraged uh, by that so uh, JP in, in the spirit of over delivering we're at 10 most guys would stop there but not yeah. you yeah. you got you've got a bonus one a bonus so uh,
2: number 11. Uh, how about create a path forward? What do you mean by that? Yeah. I think just to wrap up all of this is, is just to say, Hey, millennials want to grow. Like you, you can be as cynical as you want about them. Like they want to make the world a better place. Um, they're green. Um, they're very social minded, social justice minded. And, uh, and so they're, they're looking for a place to plug into and to be known at and to be a part of. And, um, and, And so in the spirit of you doing something excellent for them, giving them something that they can leave with, uh, just create a path forward for them. Like when they come into your ministry, show them a way, because if you think about it, they went to kindergarten and first grade and second grade and third grade and then through college and then they graduated and then they're kind of in the real world and there's no more track. Um, Create a track for them. And so say, hey, come here. Don't just be a consumer here, but plug into the ministry, um, serve here, be in community here, be in a small group here, and, and we're gonna pour into you. And so the porch is a huge on-ramp into the church. It's not a church, it's not church within a church, it's a front door to the church. And we, we make that really clear. Hey, come here um, to the porch, we're really glad you did, but we hope that you would be under the authority of elders, that you would belong to a church and that you would be known there. And so that we're just kind of constantly putting a path forward in front of them. Hey, you can serve with us. Hey, go on one of these five teams. Um, continuing to present that to them. And then what happens is ministering to young adults really becomes a health engine for the church. Like I said, if you're not reaching the future of the church, then your church is dying. And so constantly thinking through, hey, how do I take the future of this church and create an on-ramp for them into the church? And I don't know how to make that practical in your context, who's ever listening, but just think through, hey, how do I not just attract millennials or attract young adults, but how do I then give them a message um, that presents to them a path of coming into the church, belonging to the church, and serving in the church, and also being poured into by the church and the, and the leadership there in the church. And so that's really that, that, that create a, a path forward. If you think about it, and I'll, I'll leave you guys with this, is every revolution that you could think of, be it um, the French Revolution, the American Revolution, the sexual revolution, or you know what theologians have called... Um, the Great Awakenings in our history's past, um, every revolution you could identify, and I, I don't think it's an overstatement to say every one of them, at its epicenter has had a young adult, someone between the age of 18 to 35. And so if, you, if you're if you listening to this and you're like, man, I'm outside of that demographic, you can still make an impact for generations. You can still leave a legacy by pouring into one of, th- to somebody who's 18 to 35. Because I think if, if our country sees another revival, if we see another Great Awakening, if history is going to serve us again or, or uh, repeat itself, it's going to be someone 18 to 35 that leads us into that season of Great Awakening in your revival. So your best time, uh, the best way for you to steward your gifts as a minister of the gospel is to identify some of those people, 18 to 35, and begin to invest your life into them. And so I hope some of these 10 or 11 things that we talked about today are helpful for you to do that in your context.
1: Incredibly helpful. Great job, man. Thanks so much for sharing. JP, how can people find out about The Porch?
2: Awesome. Well, you can go check out the um, porchdallas.com. Man, if there's any things, you have questions on anything you just heard, you can email me at theporch at Um What's interesting is that we found that a lot of churches don't have budget to hire a teaching pastor or someone to reach millennials. And so one thing that we've started doing here is streaming The Porch to other campuses, other churches, like-minded churches. And so uh, we kind of have an impromptu campus in uh, Tulsa, in El Paso, in the Woodlands and Springs, in downtown Houston. And so if that's something that that you would be interested in hearing more information on, you can email the porch at org. And again, that's not a, a plug to, to make much of us, but if that serves the church in any way, Uh, we would love to help you with that or at least give you more information.
0: Awesome. JP, this has been so great. We really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. I I know it's going to be really helpful. John, it's been, as always, a lot of fun to be here with you. So if you have found this podcast helpful in any way, we'd love it if you gave us a a rating on iTunes or if you had a comment. If you want to leave a comment on iTunes, share this with your friends. That would be great. And if you have any specific questions for us, JP gave you his email address. But if there's other topics that you think would be helpful for you as a church leader, Please feel free to email us at clp that's church leadership podcast at watermark.org and we will get to that guys it's been a lot of fun and we will see you all next time. So JP
1: this is normally where we play the outro music but you kind of bristled uh, at the top when we said you might be the best beatboxer. So why don't you take us out and uh, and show us <laughs> just beatbox? Yeah, come on. All right.
2: Split, stippit, 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 stippit,
0: stippit,